Finish this rhyme. This is our audience participation time. Finish this rhyme. Fee, fi, fo, fum. Do you know the next line? Who knows the next line for a free drink in the cafe? That's exactly right. I didn't mean that about the drink, but no, I do. Be he alive or be he dead, I'll grind his bones to make my bread. Two children's movies featuring hungry giants were recently released. Did you see them? The BFG. Unlike the big friendly giant, the evil giants want to eat humans. They have names like blood bottler, man hugger, flesh lump eater, child chewer, meat dripper, bone crusher, gizzard gulper, and butcher boy. Your typical children's movie right there. In Trolls, how many saw Trolls? Terrible movie. The Bergens are large creatures who never feel happy. They discover, though, that they can feel happy for a moment if they devour a troll. The Bergens put the trolls in their tree in a cage, and they hold an annual festival called Trollstice, in which each Bergen gets its feeling of happiness by eating a troll. Do you see a pattern among giants? It might surprise you. This idea that giants eat people comes from the Nephilim of the Old Testament that we've been talking about. If you missed our last study in Genesis, let me try to quickly catch you up. In Genesis 6-4, we read, There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. The word giants translates to Nephilim. They were a race of superhuman beings of great stature that were produced by fallen angels marrying and mating with human females. They were a primary reason for the global flood wiping out all of humanity, save Noah and his family. The fallen angels were corrupting the DNA of the human race in an attempt to prevent the birth of the promised seed of the woman, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Now we see Nephilim, lots of them, post-flood in the promised land. It seems their strategy there was to prevent Israel from possessing her land. We talked a great deal about that. You remember uh, when the children of Israel sent the spies, uh, Moses sent the 12 spies in to spy out the land, their primary discovery and, uh, th- that kept them uh, at bay was that there were giants in the land, that we were like grasshoppers in their sight, and they didn't believe that they could prevail. And so there were giants. And so now back to fee-fi-fo-fum. By all extra-biblical accounts, and by that I mean history around the time uh, that we're talking about, the Nephilim ate the flesh and drank the blood of humans. One researcher of ancient texts on the subject summarized saying this, and I quote, Their crimes, which include murder, cannibalism, and the consumption of blood, were driven by their insatiable appetites. It's like in the movies when Frankenstein or somebody makes a creature... And then they have high hopes for it, but it usually goes wrong. There's usually some, some problems. They're not quite what you think they're going to be. And these Nephilim had these insatiable appetites. Now, much of the information about the behavior of the Nephilim comes from the book of Enoch. Enoch, you know from the Bible. He's introduced in the book of Genesis. He was uh, a great, 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 great grandson of Adam. 
He appears to have been a non-believer until the birth of his son, Methuselah. Genesis 5 then says, After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. What does that mean? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 gives more detail. It says, By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And so Enoch prefigures uh, a rapture because he was alive and then taken alive to heaven without ever dying. Enoch was removed from the earth prior to the judgment of the global flood. He thus uh, becomes a type of the rapture of the church. We will be removed from the earth prior to the judgment of the great tribulation. Noah and his family kept safe on the ark through the flood are typical of the nation of Israel being saved through the great tribulation. They will have to endure it but they will be saved through it. In fact, the great tribulation is for Israel. It is the time of Jacob's trouble, so that at the end of it, all the Jews that are left on the earth will look upon him. They've pierced, the Bible says, and all Israel will be saved at that time. And so Enoch prefigures the rapture, safe from the flood, safe from the tribulation. Uh, Noah prefigures the nation of Israel through the tribulation, kept safe, to the end. Now, the book attributed to Enoch was widely circulated in Jewish and Christian circles for several centuries. It's divided into five major sections. The first section, called the Book of the Watchers, is the one pertaining to the events in Genesis chapter 6. According to the scholars at the Wesley Center, and I quote, in the Book of the Watchers, Enoch is a righteous man who has received heavenly visions. The book is a collection of revelations regarding divine judgment. It describes the rebellion of angels. The fallen angels, called watchers, have sexual intercourse with human women who give birth to a race of wicked giants. The giants lay waste to the earth and humanity and so become the occasion for the flood in which they are destroyed. But once their demonic spirits are released from their dead bodies, these demons wreak havoc in the world until the end time of judgment. Now, the book itself was considered lost until the 18th century when European travelers to Africa discovered that the Ethiopian Orthodox Church had preserved a version in its biblical canon. The Ethiopian Church considers it a, an inspired book, and so they have a copy of it. Since then, fragments of the work in its original Aramaic have been discovered among the Dead Sea Scrolls. Portions of the text in Greek and Latin have also survived. By the 4th century, the book of Enoch was mostly excluded from Christian canons, from what we call the Bible, and it's now regarded as inspired only by the Ethiopian Orthodox Church and something called the Etrian Orthodox Tuahedo Church. So if it isn't inspired, why refer to it at all? Well, one scholar who rejects it as inspired nevertheless says this. He says, the fact is, the entire New Testament shows such a multitude of allusions and linguistic echoes of the entire corpus of Enoch that one can safely say the book and its basic interpretations 
may not be scripture, but are surely legitimized by the Bible and are therefore worthy of study and high regard by the Christian church. James Montgomery Boyce, very conservative, reformed pastor and scholar, said, Enoch could be wrong in many places. Nevertheless, it is significant for our interpretation because it was apparently known by Peter and Jude who in their oblique references to the same subject seem to put their stamp of approval on it, at least in this matter. Enoch is referred to and quoted by Jude in his letter. Jude 1, uh, we always say 1, it's one chapter, so it's the 14th and 15th verses of Jude. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so that's Jude quoting directly from the book of Enoch. If you read Enoch alongside 2 Peter, you'll see many similarities when Peter is discussing the days of Noah. So it's undoubted by scholars that Peter was familiar with the book of Enoch and used it. When both Peter and Jude wrote about angels who sinned in the days of Noah, they were alluding to history in Enoch that is not part of the Genesis flood account. Genesis never tells us the sons of God were imprisoned until the end of days, but Enoch does, and Peter and Jude pick that up as true. The historian Josephus refers to Enoch. Many church fathers from the first through the fourth centuries quoted the book of Enoch, some of them as inspired, but at least as being accurate and authoritative. Modern scholars we would trust can show passages in the Gospel of Luke, Gospel of John, in Colossians, in Hebrews, and in the Revelation that are similar to passages in Enoch. Now, since Peter and Jude believed that Enoch was in part an accurate and authoritative source of historical information regarding the days of Noah, we can at least seriously consider what it says. We're not saying it's scripture or that it should be in the Bible or anything like that, but it's clear it was a very influential book and that in some cases, these men inspired by the Holy Spirit took it as authoritative and accurate in terms of the history. So let's get back to the Nephilim giants. Enoch identifies the sons of God by name, claiming there were 200 of them. Collectively, he refers to them as the watchers, whose mission it was to watch over human beings but not interfere. If you're like me, you hear this and you say, Gene, you're getting so weird. What do you mean the watchers? I mean, this sounds crazy, but you know, it's interesting. Watchers is in fact a title that appears as a description of supernatural people in the Bible. Daniel 4.17 says this, This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones. And so usually we read that text and we think, I don't have any idea what that's talking about, so let's just ignore it. But if you were a Jew and you had read the book of Enoch, which all Jews had done, you would know what Daniel was talking about. He was making a reference to those angels, fallen angels, that Enoch identified as the watchers. Also in Enoch, one of the watchers is named Azazel. He is, in fact, the worst of them. Azazel appears in Leviticus 16, verse 8. Now, what I mean by that, the word appears there, but it's translated into our English Bible as scapegoat because it's talking about the Day of Atonement when the scapegoat is sent out into the wilderness. 
But the word is Azazel, and the Jews in Jesus' day understood that it referred to the fallen watcher by that name, that it was the name of a demon and not the name of a goat. And so if you think none of this has any biblical basis, it absolutely does. Now, we started by describing the Nephilim as eating humans. Enoch reads, and by the way, I'm going to get to my point. I do have a point in all this. There is a, there's a, a really fundamental, very exciting, interesting point, so hang with me. I mean, this is interesting, right? But I do have a, a more interesting point. We started by describing the Nephilim as eating humans. Enoch reads, now we're going to be able to quote from Enoch because we think it has some authoritative value as a book of history. So Enoch says, the women became pregnant and gave birth to great giants. They ate the labors of men. As men were unable to supply them, the giants grew bold against them and devoured the men. They began to sin against birds, animals, reptiles, and fish, and to eat the flesh of each other even, and they drank blood. And so Enoch tells us that these offspring of the fallen angels and the human women were weird, and not just that they were big and giant and superhuman in strength and all, but they had these incredible appetites that could not be satiated by all the food that men would provide for them. And remember, I think I talked about this once before, when we're talking about giants in the promised land, remember the 12 spies came back and said, man, there are grapes there the size of basketballs. I don't, I don't think it says basketball in the original language, but you, you remember, you ever see those things in Sunday school? Two guys carrying a thing of grapes on a, on a trellis that's huge. You know who eats grapes like that? Giants. Uh, and so these guys... You know, they could devour a vineyard in a, a period of time. And so they said, hey, we're still hungry. You look good. And they started eating humans. Uh, and there, by the way, there are legends I could go into all over the world of tribes that had to fight giants that were cannibals. So anyway, back to this. They were eating flesh. Other ancient extra-biblical biblical books also attest to this eating of flesh and drinking of blood. This tradition that I'm talking about was known to the Jews in the first century and it was believed by them to be true, giving context for the words of Jesus when he pointed back to the days of Noah. Remember that verse in Matthew 24:38, for as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Now, we hear eating and drinking, and we think of dinner out at Figaro's. But those same words to a Jew meant flesh-eating, blood-drinking Nephilim. That's who was eating and drinking in the days of Noah. And so the point I want to make is that we have generally ignored what is a very important part of the days of Noah and of the conquest of the Promised Land. We've ignored it. I've ignored it. We've ignored it because it's a little bit weird, uh, and, and you, you're not quite sure if that's what the Bible is saying, and it's easier to just ignore it. But now that we're in the last days, and Jesus says, you better think about the days of Noah a little bit more seriously, and we take our time and slow down, we're starting to see this. So the Nephilim figure prominently in the flood account. All the other things that we want to say about the flood and the wickedness of man and, and you know everything that was going on, you have to also account for the fact that there were these weird superhuman giants that, and the corruption of human DNA. 
uh, they were major players in the conquest of the land. There's uh, lots of talk about giants in the promised land all the way to the time of King David when he kills who? Goliath, who's more than just a tall guy. Uh, if he was a nine foot, we said he was anywhere from nine to 12 feet tall. No human being has ever gotten that tall, and the tallest human being can barely move at eight feet tall. And Goliath was a nimble warrior uh, carrying hundreds of pounds of gear, and he had brothers, and David's mighty men are said later on in Kings and Chronicles to finish off the giants. And so these giants uh, are a problem in the Holy Land until the time of David. And they factor into the New Testament, especially in Jude and Second Peter, where those guys talk about the fallen angels being incarcerated. There's this group of fallen angels who are incarcerated already in Tartarus because of their sin in Genesis 6. When Jesus said they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, he wasn't saying folks will be attending weddings and enjoying the menu at the reception. He wasn't talking about Pinterest and that kind of thing. And and we've missed this. I've missed this for years, saying, well, people will be doing what they normally do, ignoring the coming of the Lord. But we saw in our previous studies, deep into the tribulation, you are not going to be living a normal life, going to wedding receptions, eating and drinking and giving in marriage. It's going to be terrible on the earth. And so that's not at all what Jesus is talking about. He was pointing to a great evil in Noah's day that would have a similarity to the end times. I think it's this messing around with human DNA, which now is on a fast track in our time ever since the discovery of the technique geneticists call CRISPR. It's an acrostic, C-R-I-S-P-R, stands for something I can't pronounce, uh, But you should Google it, C-R-I-S-P-R, and you'll find it super frightening. In Noah's day, fallen angels were messing with DNA. Today, fallen humans are doing it. Now, let me give you a brief uh, preview of Sunday's prophecy update that ties into what we're talking about here. A recent article on a science website was titled, Human Ancestor Mated with Ghost Lineage. That gets your attention. And then they say this, a protein that helps humans make spit reveals signs that the ancestors of modern humans interbred with an extinct human lineage. Previous research suggested that the ancestors of modern humans may have interbred with other human lineages not known from the fossil record. For example, a 2011 study analyzing modern human DNA found that the species may have bred with a now extinct lineage of humanity before leaving Africa. Now researchers suggest that a ghost lineage of ancient humans may have contributed the DNA for a protein called mucin-7 found in the saliva of modern humans living in sub-Saharan Africa today. Now, I'm no scientist, and I don't want to read more into anything uh, into this than is there, But when I read that ancestors of modern humans interbred with an extinct lineage, I can't help but think sons of God, daughters of men. So what what the geneticists are saying is that there is DNA in some human beings that they can't explain. Now, if you continue to read the article, they think it's from interbreeding with Neanderthal man or Piltdown man or one of the other men that they presume. 
But what they are, but the, the science, science, not science fiction, science says there is some kind of DNA that's not fully human in human beings. And of course, a bunch of crazy people say, well, it's the aliens who seeded the planet and all this. And, and it always amazes me what people will believe rather than just take God at his word. You know what it is? It's fallen angels that mated with human females, which was the reason, one of the reasons for the flood. And so Jesus said, guys, as it was in the days of Noah, that's what it's going to be like in the last days before I come. And, and guess what? That's exactly what's happening. Once you see what was really going on in the days of Noah, that's what's really going on today. And I say, even so come, Lord Jesus. Amen.